0: Well, we begin a new series today, um, Essential Church. Uh, We'll we'll, we'll get into the sort of title a little bit. We're going to unpack this a little bit. But it's all about sort of trying to get engaged with the essence. During that film that we showed last week, which I'm hoping we'll have here in a couple of weeks' time to sell, it's it's going away to ICC in Eastbourne or Brighton or someone. and somebody mentioned Switzerland. I don't know how it works. But anyway, we get these things eventually. But in that film last week, you may have recalled that uh, uh, during the interview at one point, I said, you know, when we started the church, it was so simple, really. You know, we we, we just, we worshiped together. We studied God's word together. You know, we ministered and prayed for one another, and we tried to be a good neighbor. And it just kind of ran off the tongue. And I thought, boy, that that was simple. That was great, you know. It was so simple. And, and, And look what God has done through it. But actually what what I didn't say, and probably should say here, is that there were lots of things we didn't do. And, And part of the art of being a Christian and growing up is knowing when to say no. There were times when Jesus walked through a crowd. At one point they wanted to make him king. You'd have thought he'd hung around for that, but no, he just walked away. On another occasion, he walked through the, the area of which was, I, some have said it's a hospital area. I don't actually believe that to be true, but, but there was this pool where, where people gathered who were, Sick and, and ill and, and, and desperate for God. And, and the legend was that every now and then an angel came and disturbed the water. And while the water was all churned up, the first one in would be healed. And so many people, many needy people gathered around that area. And yet Jesus stepped over people, picked his way through to one person. So there were times when Jesus said no or not yet or not now and I guess all of us who are praying people know the no's and not yets and not now's uh, of the Christian life and and, and, you know sometimes they're frustrating to us because we find that difficult we we find the the, the, we, we interpret that as God not loving us or caring but in fact sometimes if you're a parent you know you have to say no to your children and that's the most loving thing Yesterday I was out with my family and my granddaughter who you will get to know really well over the next few years because I'm going to tell you so many stories about her. My little granddaughter's trying things on. She's trying on the screaming phase. Any parents know that? And uh, you just got to say no. And it's difficult because you get the what they call these days the evils from other people but you just got to say no and you just got to be firm sometimes you say yes it's lovely when you can say yes and one of the great things about being a grandparent is I get to say a lot of yeses and I get bored and go and look in electronic shops when there's a no going on you know (laughs) boy it's a blast being a grandparent I tell you but sometimes God says no to us and that's difficult and actually we need grace to learn how to live with the no's the struggles and actually I can honestly say to you that I've grown the more during those times when God has said, not yet, son, Hang, holy your horses there? But God, you do not seem to under- understand. Actually, God understands all things. He sees the whole picture. And I have grown. I've grown in patience and perseverance and, and, and unpopular words in our culture. We want it, and we want it now. And what's more, we want it all. How many times have we heard that? Patience. Persistence. Long suffering. These are, these are godly virtues, and they ennoble men and women, regardless of whether you are a follower of Jesus. These are ennobling things. We are at our best when we're walking that royal way. Anyway, so during that time, we did it, we, there were a number of things we didn't do, and some of them actually caused us some problems. For example, we didn't do counseling during those very early days in Antonine Gate, that you saw a, a little image of it. Little uh, link detached house, as they call it, four bedrooms. Some of you remember it because you were there. And we didn't do any counselling, and that was a lot of a, a big problem for a lot of people because cause they, they, they saw oh have you or they heard have you heard that a, a, a couple have come back to plant this church and you know they they're actually you know quite gifted pastors and, and boy boy if I get along there I might get some special attention I might be able to you know really get some prayer from them because they've probably not got much to do at the moment. Well, the reality was that. We were absolutely running, we were running at full pelt. They had no capacity, but, but, but we had made a decision. We could not do any counseling. And the best counsel we could give to people at that time was listen, show up, worship God, study His Word, and pray for one another. But, but, but I need prayer now, and you don't understand, my life's falling apart. Da, da, da. And, and, and people really, some took our advice. And curiously enough, they're still with us now and they're doing well. And others did not. That was not what they wanted to hear. Look, what, what else have you got to do? You know, you're supposed to be Christians, aren't you? Pray for me. Boy, it was interesting. The other thing we didn't do, and bearing in mind we ourselves had four kids, we didn't do any children's ministry. For 18 months, we didn't do children's ministry. Why didn't we do children's ministry? Well, in part because of what we, what we said on the film... It was in part because we didn't want children's ministry just to be what I used to characterize as fat auntie Nellie reading a storybook in the back room a babysitting circle. We thought this has got to be excellent. This has got to be the best hour of these kids week. We're not going to, you know, you know, we're not going to subject them to that kind of oh we'll get them out of the way and keep them quiet and we'll all be all right kind of deal. And the other thing we didn't do, and this surprised a lot of people, and we got more grief out of this probably than anything, was that we didn't do Sundays. Well, when I say we didn't do Sundays, what we did was we'd have a prayer meeting in the evening for those who wanted to make it. The main thing was what was going on in the w- middle of the week. But a lot of things that you would you know, not unreasonably think was to do was church. Essential church we didn't do because we hadn't the resources we hadn't the personal resources, and this is absolutely the truth. I, I, I have, because of who I am and because of what we've done over the years, I get a lot of people, uh, pastors coming and asking advice and writing to me and ringing to me, and time and again when it comes to church planting, one of the big issues is that they've tried to be big church when in fact there's only three or four of them. You, know, you can't do everything. So you've got to work out what is the essence what is the essence, what is at the very heart of what we need to be doing now? And do you know, there is an essence for a church of this side. There are things that we need to be concentrating on and things we need to be saying no, no to. Because although, yes, these days we've got very considerable resources in one stretch of the imagination. In fact, compared with what God's calling us to do, boy, we are, we are poverty-stricken we desperately need God to move. We desperately need more of him. And so, so this whole business of essential church is something we're going to unpack and explore. And, uh, and, uh, and I hope it will, it will help us to understand what God is calling us to. But also, there's always another, there's always a little sort of other side of the coin type of agenda that's going on. It may also, and this is my prayer, help us as individuals, as Followers of Jesus, and I realize I'm making a bit of an assumption because not everyone here will be a follower of Jesus yet. I, I hope we'll all be, but, but for those of us who are followers of Jesus, maybe we'll begin to start understanding a little more clearly about, about what really matters, what, what really we should be pressing on into. So that's what we're going to be, be thinking about. And, and to help us to get into that, we're, we're going to look at Jesus getting essential on something. And uh, I've got a little passage here which... Uh, Nicola's going to put up for me, and we'll look at that. Incidentally, while that's happening, talking about getting simple, I heard a a funny thing this week. I heard that the uh, churches in Las Vegas are accepting chips in the offering now. (laughs) Can you believe that? It, apparently, it's like, you know, it, it's like it's almost as good as, you know, the dollar. And so they, they take chips. And, and a very enterprising monastery is now, because of the, the number of chips that are coming and the way people are using that as an alternative currency, an enterprising monastery now collects all these chips every month and it sort of cashes them. And then they, for a little small fee, they, fee, they, they give it back to the, the churches. They're called the chip monks. <laughs> <laughs> boom! boom! <laughs> that has absolutely nothing to do with this sermon, but I had to get it in, it just made me laugh. Okay, we're done with it, I'm business as usual now, fine. This is an interesting passage, very much in the, in the center of what I want to say this morning, and then Dennis is up next week, and Rick and myself, and we'll carry this on a little bit as we look through Scriptures definitions at various times of what essential church is hoping that we might get greater clarity for the 21st century So this little passage here we'll read it first and then make some comments it, I should say because of the way it begins Jesus had a bit of a run-in with the Sadducees a religious um, Sect within Judaism and if, if you've got a, a spare moment or two this afternoon You might like to read Matthew 22. There's a number of these kind of interactions. We're going to focus on this one Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, now this commandment is actually, this saying of Jesus is well known, not just within the church, but it's one of those sayings of Jesus that has actually got out there in the public domain. Uh, it, it's, it, it's often referred to as the greatest commandment or the golden commandment. Or, you, know, you may know it as other things, but th- this, is, this is something that has broken out of little church. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind. And the second is, fir- is almost the same, as th- is the same as the first, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. How many people know that outside of Christendom? Many do. But the background to this is interesting. And last, last year, the staff and I, we, uh, as part of a study series we were doing together, we looked at a book called Simple Church, um, uh, as usual, I've wrong-footed our dear folk on the the desk at the bookstall because I should have thought, and we could have got some copies in. But, but we maybe get one or two. It's, it's an interesting book. But I want to read a little bit of background to this incident to you, some insight which I didn't know actually and found very interesting. It begins. If anyone knows simple, essential, it's Jesus. If anyone is a revolutionary. It is Jesus. He is the original, simple, essential revolutionary. He stepped into a complicated and polluted religious scene. It was cluttered with Sadducees and Pharisees, Herodians, Zealots and Essenes. He did not play by their rules. He could not stand their hypocrisy. He preferred spending time with ordinary people, with tax collectors, Sinners even The religious leaders had developed a religious system With 613 laws They chose the number 613 Because that was how many separate letters Were in the text containing the Ten Commandments Then they found 613 commandments in the Pentateuch That's the first five books of the Old Testament And they divided the list into affirmative commands Do this and negative commands don't do this there were two hundred and forty-eight affirmative commands one for every part of the human body as they understood it there were three hundred and sixty-five negative commands one for each day of the year and they further divided the list into binding commands and non-binding commands Then they spent their days debating whether the divisions were accurate and ranking the commands within each division. Boy, I'm tempted to say, get a life, you know. Man. Now this was common knowledge, not that everybody knew this, but this is what the Pharisees, the the experts in the law, spent their time doing. In comes Jesus. So, so do, you, do you see what's happening here? If we can go back to that, thank you. What's happening here is that Jesus has seen the Sadducees off, which were a pretty influential bunch. And so the Pharisees fancy their chances with Jesus. And so what they do is they get their hero, their Achilles, their whoever, you know. They get, you know, one of their experts, one of the experts of the experts, you know. One of the really bright kids, you know. One of those who they all look up to and they say, come on Jack, you can do it, take him on mate, tear him apart, who does this upstart Galilean think he is? And so this guy, armed with his 613 and his 365 and his 263s and his divisions of his divisions and all the rest of it, which they all knew about, comes to Jesus who is now bearing the heavy reputation of being a rabbi, a teacher, by popular accolade. And so he comes in this kind of... I see him coming with a kind of a... Well, some would say in a kind of a two-faced sort of attitude because he comes as one rabbi to another. But in fact, he's coming to tear Jesus down. And so the expert in the law says to Jesus, you know, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Well, it's a trick question at all sorts of levels and I haven't got time to unpack the nuances of it. But it's a trick question because actually to identify any of the, the laws as being um, you know, better than another was putting you in dangerous territory. You were bound to upset someone. And it's a trick question because, because actually you know, they're wanting to make Jesus look stupid. And basically he's caught between a rock and a hard place because whatever he says, he's going to be on a loser. They think they've got him. We know the law. This upstart Galilean carpenter does not. We've got him. So the the question is asked. And Jesus comes up with this. And look what he says. Seemingly without hesitation. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He then adds something. Which is not actually in the, which is a little bit sort of contentious. But then he goes on, he says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets. He goes one step further. He's been questioned about the law. But he goes on to say, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Essential." Simple. The text reports that they were dumbfounded because they realized that actually he cut it. Must have been an accident. Lucky, lucky shot. They realized that this upstart Galilean rabbi had got it. He had the essence of the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets are summed up in these two statements. Essential. Essence. Now actually at the end of the ministry time, I, I, I read that little passage. I think it's out of Mark 11, isn't it? Where Jesus, or Matthew 11. Where Jesus says, come to me all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Come to me for my yoke is easy. Easy. My yoke is light. Now, actually, what we missed, but what would have not been lost on his own hearers, was that all of these experts in the law, they were all rabbis. That meant that they had a little group of disciples that they were training up. It was part of, it was a great, actually, a great system. They all had their 12 and, or more. So Jesus' 12 disciples was not new. It was what rabbis did. And the teaching of, the, of, of, of each rabbi was called his yoke. His yoke. You took on the rabbi's yoke. So Jesus says, when you come to me, you're not going to be lambasted and laden and have 600 and whatever it was laws laid on you and then 247 and 306 and subdivision 4, feet, four 3, clause 2a. You're not going to get that from me. My yoke is light. Love God. Love one another. Even I can remember that. Love God. Love one another. You see Jesus. Gets through to the very center of this. And I I, want to actually almost. Undermine my own talk this morning. Because. Although there was a lot of. uh, Muddled motives. This desire to. To. To subdivide and categorize and increase was, was all under the heading of putting what they called a hedge around the Torah. It was actually to preserve it. It was, yeah, but what if, what, what if, what if. And they tried to think of all the what ifs. And they, they tried. It was actually a, an earnest desire to try and make the law work for them. But they lost, in the, it, they lost something in the mix. They lost that essence, that simplicity. Things got cluttered. And and Jesus came to declutter. Who likes who likes decluttering here? Fliss is my wife is an amazing declutterer. We've got one or two people in the office, Claire Wilson, who heads up she's an astonishing filer and declutterer. And the last, yesterday it was funny we were out as I said with my family my, my, One of my, my daughters She uh, wasn't very well but she came and met, with, met us for lunch And she said with great glee She said I'm going to buy a new Dyson now <laughs> And I said yeah great She said no no I've done, I'm going to go and get a Dyson And she got this Dyson And I uh, would said to her I "said you're on your own tonight If you want to come around and have something to eat and watch a movie She said oh no I'm going to be unpacking my Dyson Ooh, <laughs> But there is something about decluttering. We want simple. We want essence. I mean, man, do we need it these days. I'm a great fan of Radio 4 in the morning, the Today program and the rest. A great fan of that. I've been listening to it for years. and. If you listen to that with me, you will know how many times we've had politicians and bankers and all the rest trying to explain and chart the way through the economic crisis. And actually, yesterday we heard, of course, Gordon Brown saying there is no roadmap in this, basically. It's too complicated. You know, who knows what the banks are holding? They don't even know what they're holding. It's a mess. We dispensed with simple Probably about 20 years ago, when it came to our financial institutions, it's got complicated. Desperately complicated. But, oh, there is something in us that longs for simple. Let's look at another little reading. If we can scroll it on to my next reading, please, Nicola. Um, Thank you. You know, Jesus was on this great mission to get back to essence. Essential. Simple. Simple. He reached his Jerusalem, it says this, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the table of the money changers there and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robber's? Uh, Jesus did a great job of decluttering the temple, and I have to say he did not get thanked for it. He won himself a fresh new batch of enemies, a fresh new round of hostilities that morning. But you see, Jesus knew something about the heart of God, and all this actually flows out of the heart of God. Because when the great temple, this this was one of a number, this was Herod's temple, and it was probably the finest of the temples. It was an extraordinary wonder of the world. But when it was built, it was built to God's pattern, and he created an inner area where only he dwelt. There was an outer area, this is simplifying terribly, but sufficient to the cause... An outer area where the Jewish people, his people, came in to meet him. And there was then an outer area, the court of the Gentiles it was called. And this was the place where those who were not born as as God's people, the Jews, could come to meet with their God. It wasn't condescending, nor was it patronizing. It was compassion in action. And it was the the biggest area was the court of the Gentiles. The smallest area was the place that God had. The biggest area was the court of the Gentiles, a place of prayer, a place where anyone could come, educated, black, white, young, old, from wherever, whoever could come and meet with the living of God. But what the children of God forgot was that that was the heart of God. And, and church became for them. And so when they needed somewhere to, you know, when there were a few bucks to be made on the side selling doves, or when there was a, few, a bit of money to be made from the foreigners because they weren't allowed to make a profit from their own brethren, they set up stalls and slipped a few, few, few bob to the, the temple uh, priests and guards. and They, 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 they sold money. And then others just used it as a, as a means of, of a thoroughfare. Well, I'm not going to go all the way around that temple. I'm just going to leg it through. And the place became like a marketplace. And while there's nothing wrong with commerce, Jesus realized that the children of God had made church their thing and not their thing. And it's always about their thing because the heart of God is for them. That's why I'm here I'm here because I I had no place in heart or mind or disposition towards God, but he showed me mercy, and he came, and he he meddled in my life, and finally I finally I surrendered. I'm grateful for it now. Didn't make much sense at the time, but I'm grateful for it now. He took the trouble to make a space for me, and praise, praise God, others did, so Jesus, excuse me, Jesus comes here and he comes to declutter the temple because we've lost something. It's not about us and our goings-on behind the closed doors. It's about creating a space, a place, where the nations of the world can meet with God, this God of grace and mercy. And Jesus went, to use a term we used to call, mental. And he, and he drove all these people out. And he said, "This is supposed to be a pre- you know, this is a, a a place of encounter, a house of prayer for all nations." He he decluttered. You know, it's it's hard. Uh, and I'm not expecting this journey over the next few weeks to be particularly easy, really, as we think this through because, because there is a complexity to church or any human institution. I mean, I've got three little C words. I wonder if, Nicola, you can find those. I mean, often when we're talking in the staff room amongst the staff and our core leaders know this, you know, church is, is three things. It's a company. I mean, we cannot do this here this morning if we don't invest an incredible amount of time in things called health and safety. We can't make that hour out there that our kids are enjoying the best hour of their week if we don't invest an extraordinary amount of time in CRB checks. I mean, really, we're having to take people on to deal with the whole time, and rightly so. We can't take up an offering if we don't have effective accounting procedures and policies. We cannot publish accounts Uh, Without taking into account the fact that we're a charity There's an awful lot of admin And quite frankly some of you guys work in offices Not too different from ours Where you're selling grommets and widgets or something like that And you're doing all of this stuff Church as an institution Has always had that kind of rather tedious, difficult area If you don't believe me, read Acts 15 An issue came up There were those in the church This is in the Bible folks An issue came up because the Jewish Christians were saying that the non-Jewish Christians should convert to Judaism first before they could become a Christian. So that meant they had to obey all the laws of Moses. They had to, if they were male, had to get circumcised. Before they could come and sing a worship song and have tears rolling down their their cheeks in love and adoration of Jesus, like we did this morning. And here we are, Acts, Acts 15, you know, and they have to call a council of Jerusalem and Paul and, and, and Barnabas, they have a, a bit of a fallout and there's tension and there's hostility and there's conflict and all sorts of stuff like that and there's aggravation and finally they, you know, they come out, you know, a board meets and it comes out with a policy statement. It's always going to be like that, that and it's important, it is important but i'm sure i can say of them with confidence they had not lost sight of what the main thing was the admin wasn't the be all and the end all it was a means to an end second thing it is a cause we are called and we will spend more time looking at this to make disciples we are we are called to in a unique way to make christ known You know, we're not just an extension of social services, but we want to be the best, we want to do that as best we can. We are followers of Jesus. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that he died for the sins of the world. We believe that he's coming again. We believe he rose from the dead. We believe that his kingdom is is coming and is here. We want to make Christ known, our Lord and our Saviour. Somebody pretend you're an, uh, a Pentecostal and shout hallelujah. Thank you. Even had a hand raised then that was wonderful. Otherwise, we're just a bunch of nice do-gooders, and I'm not knocking nice do-gooders. We're more than that. We're a cause. We're called to make Christ known to the nations, His glory, His honor, His reputation. His death, his resurrection, and our response to it. And thirdly, of course, we're a community. We are. Rather like the thing we're praying and the watchman thing, rather like Jesus is saying, We are are those who gather together all sorts of shapes and sizes. I, I, I have a group of friends, and my friends, you know, they're not too different from me. The people I like hanging out from, uh, with, 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 like the things that I like. I mean, I like hanging out with John Hall down here because he likes classic cars and boating, and I like classic cars and boating. And we, once we get into that groove, I mean, well, I'm sorry. You know, you've probably <laughs> been there when I've been going on with John about these things. Because I like hanging out with John. But the beauty of church is that I don't just have to... I, I, I get to know... People who aren't, people I'd naturally gravitate towards. And I find them frustrating and difficult. But I also find them wonderful and amazing and thrilling. And I find joy in, in this company. I was driving somewhere the other week and, and just praying as I was driving, as I'm sure many of you do. And I was in the car. I was just struck with joy. Joy. And I wanted to dance in the car, which is a bit difficult, but <laughs> I wanted to dance for the sheer joy of being known by God and knowing his people. It's just the most amazing, incredible, wonderful group, and only God could think of getting this bunch of people together and the rest and telling us to love one another. Because each one of us is precious in his sight. It's a wonderful thing. So yeah, church is all of these things. So, you know, the tension is, how do we we not get drawn off into 645? Let's keep it simple. And I suppose one of the challenges as I I draw this talk to a close is this, is that I've realized that just as we're trying to think about what, what essential church is, I love that kind of name. Sort of an oxymoron in some people's eyes. Essential church, you know, you know, a conflict of ideas there. Some who aren't in the church say nothing essential in church. In fact, if, it had, if I had anything to do with it, I'd get a bulldozer and shove them all off beachy head, you know. But, you know, essential church. What is the essence of, of what we're about? And so while we're thinking that through, I also find myself challenged by the story of the temple. And I have to come back to Jesus myself and In my prayer life My personal secret history with him And say Lord Have I cluttered things? Have I, have I made things overly complicated? Have I As one commentator put it Lost my first love? Do I spend my life Looking at the problems And the difficulties And the, why, and the reasons why not As opposed to the simplicity of knowing him and loving God's people. You know, this is more than an academic exercise. This is, this is about us encountering God, wherever we are on our journey with him. Some of you have been walking with him for years. Some of you, this is a new thing. Everything's new. You're sucking it up like blotting paper. And there's much to learn and much ground to cover. But let's, let's not lose this essential thought that at heart this is about knowing a God who has come to us who has saved us and who sends us saying I'm coming with you man I need that You guys are probably fine but I need to remind myself of that. and As I do, I find joy kicking in. It gives me strength for the sitting down at the Council of Jerusalem and discussing health and safety stuff which we have to do. Rightly so. But that's the challenge for you personally. Corporately, let's engage with this thing. Let's make sure that what we do here is essential and nothing less. But personally, Ask yourself this question. Ask God it if you have a relationship with him. And please, God, I hope you do. So, God, have I, have I just made this all a bit too complicated? Boy, I want to take your yoke and put it on me because your yoke is easy. Your yoke is light. So that's my challenge to us all this morning. Let's have the worship team up and let's pray. Would you like to stand? As the teams coming forward, can I just say that uh, after the service there will be prayer to my right, your left, as always, and uh, and we have one or two what we call words of knowledge, which uh, give us a bit of an insight into what that might be. I think I left it down there. I'll, I'll thank you. Thanks, Linda. But in addition to to these conditions which I'm going to read out, can I say two other things? During the worship time, I had a very strong sense that today was a day when some of you who aren't yet believers, and that's fine, you know, you're on the journey, really need to take that essential step of faith. And you need to come down the front here and maybe take yourself over to the corner there and say, you know, uh, I want to know Jesus. I want to know his forgiveness, I want to know his cleansing, and I want to know his sending. I, I want to begin my part of the story with Jesus. I've looked in the outside, I've had my face pressed against the window, peering it, but now I want to come in. There are two or three of you that really need to do that today. That's this is your day. And quite frankly, if you know that to be true and now you're trying to argue yourself out of it, you're making it complicated. <laughs> this is an essential step and some of you need to this morning just ask somebody to tell them what you want to do I want to become a follower of Jesus I want to say that prayer will you pray with me and do that the second thing was that many of you put your hand up in response to that question of are you, are you, ex- are you experiencing something of God are you, do you sense God close to you you need to get some prayer this morning because maybe God didn't finish maybe of necessity I had to butt in and cut something short that God was doing so whatever you know Get yourself and get some prayer going. The uh, words of knowledge, uh, somebody suffering from uh, some ear problems, earache uh, on the right ear, a man with a lower back pain, um, somebody suffering from nausea, stomach reflux indigestion, it's possibly a woman, uh, somebody uh, struggling with uh, the, the onset of arthritic or, or uh, rheumatic joint pains, And finally, a lady worried about hair loss. You know, if any of those ring a bell with you, again, get prayer. This God we serve here at vineyard is a God who draws close, who is full of kindness, is full of compassion, and full of mercy. Let's just pray. Father, we want to say thank you for your word. We pray that it'll settle on our hearts and be as seed to our hearts, that it would grow and flourish there, and that we would grow in the things of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.